At the end of our days, we want to be proud of how we spent that day. At the end of our lives, we want to be equally proud of the decisions that we've made. To do this, we need to face the hard. We need to talk it out. We need to lean into community, relatability, and understanding. We need to hear how other people got it together, how they overcame the shame, hurt, toxicity, and past trauma, and chose to move forward but nobody talks about the hard stuff enough. Life is tough and confusing, and yet we try to glide over the struggles like the glaze on a donut and expect to come out unscathed on the other side. We don't deal with the hard, we just keep moving forward, distracting ourselves with scrolling, Netflix binges, and a busy, busy life. But none of us wanna feel like we're drowning or settling in the one life that we've been given, and that's where this show comes in. I long to be a piece of the puzzle that not only extends a hand, but comes alongside of you to live well and to live with joy. On the Living Easy podcast, I dig deep and talk about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing. We talk about the nitty gritty of marriage from living like roommates to the confusion of sex and intimacy. We talk about the reality of losing friendships and the art of making new ones as an adult because let's be honest, it is not always easy. And we explore essential life principles like real forgiveness, making perfect memories in imperfect homes, and how to deepen your relationship with God in a way that genuinely changes how you live and how you love. God has used the Living Easy podcast to touch hearts in nearly every country in this world. I started this journey with just a computer on my lap as a nursing mom. And since that point, I've had the incredible privilege of connecting with millions of people worldwide through my platforms and through my online courses, such as The Wife Project, From Roommates to Soulmates. At the heart of it all, it is people who make my world go round. Relationships matter, and how you feel about your life at the end of your life is of great importance. And that is why I pour my heart into connecting with you. People are everything to me, and I share my own stories of my mess, the hardships, and my big mistakes on this podcast, paired with all of the wisdom and the lessons that I have learned along the way to bring you freedom. So let's be friends, click subscribe, grab your favorite warm beverage, and get cozy. I'm Lindsay Maestas. Welcome to the Living Easy Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. I am so excited to have you here today. And as we have had quite a few new listeners lately, I wanted to thank you for being here. And if you are new, I essentially love this podcast because it's a little bit of my own diary. (laughs) It's my way of verbally processing things. And I like to regularly self-evaluate and call my listeners up to do the same, which means that we are consistently looking inward, evaluating our behavior, our decisions, our thoughts, and finding the best ways to honor and glorify God in the way that we live our lives. And much of that is in relation to our families, being mothers or fathers, to our children, being spouses who honor one another and honor God, being friends who call one another up and challenge each other for the glory of God, and also just living a more joyful and purposeful life. So I'm super thankful to have you here. And today, I am talking about something that has been very prevalent in my own life, and I've received a lot of questions about this over the past few years, and I've addressed it in DMs, but I figured what better way than to address it on the podcast. So we are going to be talking about how to talk to your kids about sex, alcohol, and sin. So one of the biggest aspects of this is open and honest communication. I think a lot of the time 
we feel that the more we shelter or shield our children from these topics, the more innocent and pure they're going to be. And while I wish that were true, there are so many avenues, especially now in our society and our modern world, for our children to gain access to things that we do not want them to have access to. My boys have come home saying things that I cannot even grasp where they've come from. And for the record, my son Saxon is almost six years old and my son Sutton is eight. And while they are not vulgar, awful things, they are definitely things that make me uncomfortable. I don't know if you guys remember like that Barney song about Barney being shot and dead. It's just so (laughs) crass and violent. And I laugh now, but when I talk to them about it, I don't because I know it's only going to progress. Each age, as they get older, they're going to learn new things and hear new things. And so my principle of life as a mother is that I want them to hear things at home first before they hear them anywhere else. And so as you're considering when to talk to your kids about sex, when to talk about alcohol, when to talk about sin, the best piece of advice I can give you is that this should be a perpetual ongoing conversation. This isn't something that should happen once. Like I totally understand the birds and the bees conversation when you're really laying everything out there. But the idea is that you have so many conversations around the dinner table, while on walks, going on bike rides, any time that allows for conversation, especially bedtime. Bedtime is a big one for us you will have that conversation. Ask, hey, have you heard anything at school lately? Hey, is there anything that's just intriguing to you that you weren't fully aware of before that kids are talking about? Have you heard anything about sex at school? And I find that when I ask those questions, I am very surprised at how much my oldest son knows already. And so it really just allows for me to come to a place where I say, hey, This is already happening. He's only eight, just turned eight, but I need to continue having a handle on it. And we have actually talked about sex and body parts from when they were probably about two years old and obviously very age-appropriate conversations, but we use anatomical terms. This is a big thing for us. And using anatomical terms, penis, (laughs) vagina, all of it, because, and here's why I believe so strongly in that, if something were to happen, I want my boys to be able to name it specifically and to be very, very clear that if something happened, this person touched this, that they can vocalize exactly what that is, but also that it makes it a God-given body part and not something dirty, filthy that we need to give a private name to. And that's just our personal take and opinion on it, but it seemed to work very well within our home. And while the boys love, love talking about penises and nuts and making jokes and all the things. We try try to put a limit on it, but it's out of control. But anyway, it's at least they're saying the right words is kind of how I feel. So when we go to address any of these topics, I think the first question that often arises is when is a good time to do the talk though, the birds and the bees talk. And I think that it's very much dependent on your child's maturity level, their emotional maturity. I will say that the average age of a child for the first time that they see adult content or pornography is eight years old as of 2023. So 
at this point in their lives, kids don't have to be looking for mature content. They don't have to be scrolling. It is programmed to find them, which is absolutely devastating to my mom heart and to any parent's heart to know that the world is essentially out to get them and to get them addicted to sexuality, to pornography, because it is a mass industry for profit and sex trafficking and all of those horrible, awful things that we don't want our children involved with. But even with little video games, if you have children who play regular games on an iPhone that are for age four, age five, age six, they still have advertisements that are very seductive. So having an awareness of what they're watching, what they're putting into their minds, which advertisements could be randomly popping up, what they're seeing as they scroll through Netflix, Hulu, any of those, even if they're not looking for anything, they are there. So first off, awareness is key. Having just the ability to say, hey, we're going to have boundaries for screens, for what you're seeing, for what you're watching, and when you're able to watch it. Am I in the room and next to you, which I know can be really challenging, but we will never regret having those strict boundaries as they get older. So as we acknowledge that the first time they're seeing pornography is age eight, we can say, okay, if we start earlier than that, if we get a hold on this and our children know that sex is a gift created by God, that is something beautiful and sweet and not tainted and dirty, they are able to go into the world with that general understanding, even if it's very, very basic. To think for us that it won't happen to my child. Like they go to a really good school. We live in a really conservative state and the conversations still happen. We want to sometimes believe it won't happen to us. But I genuinely in love think that that is just ignorance or naivety to believe that they're that sheltered from something. Because if we are not talking about it, they may have that sense of shame or fear to bring it home and then therefore they're not going to discuss it. So the more open we are in our conversation and communication, the more open they will be. So one thing to know about pornography that you might think, oh my gosh, if my child ever saw that, they would be so appalled and grossed out. They're too little. But neurological research has shown that pornography is particularly addictive to young children because of the neurochemical release in their brain that occurs when they see it. So for many young kids, that euphoric high, kind of like that dopamine hit, that occurs quickly and it develops into a coping style for escaping emotional distress. And while they may not put all of that together right away, their brain and that pleasure center in their brain is going to be longing for more and more and more. And what it does is it damages their future enjoyment of sex because it has become tainted. It's no longer God's beautiful creation. It's like this tool, this performance, this how much dirtier and worse can I get? And what more can I see in order to feel that sense of satisfaction? And that's where the deep hole and really brokenness begins. While it may not be the most comfortable topic, especially if it's something you struggle to communicate about even with your spouse or with a sibling or with parents, you have got to challenge yourself to let love overpower the discomfort of discussing this topic. So love for your child is more important than how uncomfortable you are. When you talk to children and tweens and teens about content and about sex and about oral sex and masturbation, 
you are opening a door that gives them the freedom to not feel like they need to stifle it down. And so in order to do this, it's really important for us to be open, honest, available, and to encourage questions and learning, to not make faces, to not, and and I know many of us wouldn't intentionally make a face, right? We wouldn't be like, why are you asking me that? But Jesse and I have even found when Sutton, <laughs> Sutton heard at school, double Ds, okay? And I'm imagining double D boobs. So, but he didn't know what double D was. And he started coming home and he's seeing double Ds, double Ds. Du-. And I was like, oh. And Jesse and I immediately look at each other with eyes wide and like, what the heck is he saying? And I was like, oh, Sat, what is double Ds? And he was like, I don't know. It's just a song some of the older kids were singing at school on the playground. And I said, oh, okay. Do you have any awareness of like what a double D is? And he's like, mom, it's just a song. There's no, and he was seven at the time. Totally, totally unaware. But it did give us opportunity to have a conversation with him. But we realized in that moment, our reaction was shock. And I don't want to make him feel as if if he comes home with something, he's shocked. And obviously, it's a natural response. But just learning to control that so that we are an open door for him and a trusted adult that he can come to to be like, hey, what what's going on there? So, So just ensure that you keep revisiting it over and over and over and allow yourself to receive it with warmth and with understanding and without fear and control. The temptation for me (laughs) in everything in life, but the temptation for me to respond with fear and control is huge when it comes to this stuff. My children are like, oh, if I could just keep them in a tiny, tiny little bubble forever or like in a case on my dresser. (laughs) and then let them out only to hang out with me, I would because I'm terrified of this world. It's horrible a lot of the time. But the gospel and the grace of God and the creation that God has built for us and for His glory is so sweet. And so the more that we instill that in our children, the more joyful and beautiful their lives will be. So the next thing is secrets. We discuss secrets a lot. We do this thing in our home called My Estes Family Values, and it's really just a way for us to come together as the four of us and to say, hey, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. This is what we believe. This is the truth about your marriage. God did not call you to be a fix-him wife. He called you to be a love-him wife. I want you to imagine for a moment your home lighting up in flames. Would you wait until the entire house had burnt down before seeking help? No, right? It's more likely that as soon as you saw the spark of that first flame, you would do everything in your power to fight the damage, fix it, learn from it, and to seek help. Now let's apply that same wisdom to your marriage. Divorce statistics do not lie, you guys. 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. So why wait until your marriage has burned to the ground before taking action? The Wife Project from Roommates to Soulmates is an eight and a half week biblical study that I am so deeply passionate about because I have had the amazing opportunity to watch it change thousands of marriages for the better around the entire world. It offers a lifeline for those seeking to become best friends with their spouse again, to actually like one another again, and to rekindle the affection, intimacy, and closeness that you once experienced. So is this a project for you? 
Here are a few questions that you can ask yourself. Number one, do you feel like coldness and hard-heartedness have replaced the affection and the excitement in your marriage? Do you find yourself feeling lonely, struggling to communicate your wants and your needs to your spouse, or just never wanting to be together? Number two, are you a woman who is seeking to embrace her role as a godly wife, just learning how to love your husband as God intended? Number three, do you long to deepen your relationship with Jesus, strengthen your own prayer life, trust Him in your sex life, and become a more godly spouse each day? Number four, perhaps you're single, coming from a broken home with a fractured view of marriage, and you yearn to discover what God says about this sacred union of commitment. Or number five, maybe you're recently engaged and you're eager to prepare your heart in the best way for your future husband by fixing your gaze on Jesus. I want you to consider the words of one of the students of The Wife Project who shared, My husband and I had been struggling for a very long time. We love each other, but miscommunication and exhaustion were taking a toll. In just a few days of walking through The Wife Project, I feel a genuine change in our marriage and in the tone of our home. As well as Kelsey's testimony, The Wife Project showed me God's vision for our marriage. I realized that I need to stop trying to get my husband to fill a role that he was never created to fill. Thank you, Lindsay, for giving me the tools I needed to save my marriage. I truly believe you are a gift from God to our family. So if you are ready to change your marriage, there has never been a better time to invest in one of the most important relationships in your life. And it begins with you. We cannot change the person next to us as much as we might want to, but we can start with us. And if we deepen our faith in such a way that it pours out onto our marriage, we will see the fruit of that in our home. This course includes a 65-page workbook with practical applications, conversation starters, date night ideas, memory verses, journaling pages, and so much more to get you started right away on implementing what you're learning. It is time to make a generational change for the sake of your children and for the glory of God. Let them see how you communicate healthfully and change the dynamic of your home for the better. You will learn how to communicate, love, serve, date, and pursue intimacy as Christ intended, and you will never regret it. Click the link in my bio or go to sparrowsandlily.com backslash the-wife-project to get started today. You will have lifetime access and can go at your own pace. Make the choice to transform your marriage and write a new chapter today. Let's get back to today's episode. And it bonds us in a way that the boys realize and we realize that when we leave our home, we're not just representing ourselves, we're representing each of us. We're representing one another. My youngest has struggled recently with honesty. And one of our foundations, one of our principles is that the Maestas family values honesty. The Maestas family is honest. This is who we are. And so if this is something you're not standing for, we need to evaluate why what's causing it, and how can we work through the temptation to lie. That principle then goes from the Bible calls us to be truthful and honest. Our family is truthful and honest. Therefore, there are no secrets. I should do a whole episode on our family values. I'll do that soon because I really do. I think that it's been very effective for our boys and for us. But one of the things with that is we don't do secrets in our home. So while, of course, Jesse and I have our private (laughs) lives, we also are very open with our boys. We're very transparent with our struggles, our sins. And the more that we communicate about secrets, that people may want you to have a secret from your parents, or children may want you to keep a secret from your parents. And here are the reasons that we don't do that. And when it comes to bad secrets, very bad secrets, like an adult touching them or doing something to them and saying, hey, you can't tell your dad or I'll hurt him or he'll get hurt 
or I'll hurt you. When we hear about molestations and rapes, a large factor of that is a power play. Most of the time, it's not for pleasure, but for power. And within that power, they try to keep the kids from telling, obviously, and they threaten and they hold that power over them. So one thing that we tell our boys a lot is that if another person ever tells you a secret or tells you to keep a secret, especially if the person tells you not to tell us, then it is an unsafe secret. There is no adult who we trust who would ever ask you to keep something from your parents. We reiterate this all of the time. There is no child who is telling you a good secret if it's meant to be kept from us. And I will say, I believe the boys are very, very open with us. We know a lot. And there are very few things that we believe they withhold from us. Of course, there's no way to fully know. But based on the conversations that we have and their willingness to be vulnerable, even about their own failures and mistakes that would normally get them in trouble, makes us feel confident they're working, at least working toward being honest and open with us. And so the more that we reiterate this unsafe secret concept, the more they realize, okay, there are trusted adults and there are not trusted adults. And we do this, of course, with even picking up from school. If this person has never been in our home and they ask you to come with them, you do not go with them. This person would have been in our home at some point in our lives if we're sending them to pick you up. So just regularly reassuring them that we are safe and that their secrets are safe with us and that there's no secret that needs to be left outside of our home. We just reassure them that it's always okay for them to break a secret or promise when it involves touch. Next, discuss your own mistakes. And I will get to age-specific examples for you guys in just a minute, but these are just principles that we live by that have been the foundation of how I parent my boys and talk to them about these things. I'm just sharing my opinion. You guys may disagree with me, and that's totally okay. But I just hope that maybe you can take one grain of salt from this and utilize it to season your family. That was really cheesy, but I'm (laughs) going to keep it. Okay. Next. So discussing your own struggles. My dad told me that drugs ruined a portion of his life, that they made him somebody he didn't want to be. And he drove me around to see homeless and would talk about the drug effects. He let me see people in really bad conditions due to drugs. And I 1000% believe that it is the only thing that kept me from doing drugs. I did everything else in high school. If you've heard my testimony, episode 30, you know this. (laughs) I tried everything, but I was so afraid of drugs because of what my dad said. And it wasn't this fear-mongering. He essentially talked about his own experience. And this is not to tell them something to say, hey, I did it, so it's okay for you to try it. Instead, it's to have that transparency, to make yourself approachable on the topic, to let your child know, hey, I didn't have it all together. I didn't do everything perfectly. I had temptation to rebel. And it's also to share your mistakes and regrets regarding that scenario. So whether it's sex, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's stealing, whether whatever it could be, the principle is that you are opening up to your child to let them know, hey, I made mistakes and here were the repercussions of it. Or hey, your aunt made mistakes and here are the repercussions. Having that ability to show your children that adults aren't faultless gives them the freedom to speak out more about their own struggles. And one thing I will say is that even more important than the confession of your past sins 
is your regular confession of present sins within your home. The practice that you model for your children in your family devotions or at dinner time, making that a regular pattern and a rhythm of confession will show your children how a follower of Jesus handles sin in their own lives. So this is creating in your own normal daily routine, a pattern of confession, of forgiveness, and of restoration because of who God is to you and how much He has forgiven you of and what He has called you to. When you as a parent live that out effectively, fully and perfectly, of course, because nobody has called you to be perfect in this, But when you're open and say, hey, I do this way too much, (laughs) maybe not, but I feel like I'm constantly failing my family and that's just my own struggles. But I will say, hey, I'm so sorry for this. I'm so sorry for raising my voice today. I'm so sorry for falling short and not being as present as I should have been. I'm so sorry for, you know, not giving you that intentional time that you really needed, whatever it could be. And This isn't to say I sit there and just receive the grace and then go on and continue sinning. Every day I'm trying to be better. But what my boys have seen is mom is super imperfect. She does not have it all together, not even close, but we can own it. And in that, I've watched my boys, while not always easy because pride is just innate in all four of us, is to say, hey, mom, I did this today, or I screwed up today, or please forgive me for talking to you like that. I was just feeling emotional. And as we model that, our children will see the greatest gospel impact because to see your mom or your dad, and if you come from my generation, it was not common for parents to talk about their struggles, their past, to go to counseling or therapy. They were told from their parents to suck it up and figure it out. So that's kind of what was passed down to us. So for us to restructure that and to rebuild and to undo some of that damage and to allow our children to see their mom or dad, who they likely see as the superhero of the world, as infallible or flawless, and to hear them regularly confessing to their spouse, confessing to them, and especially confessing to God their sins, but then saying, but the blood of Jesus covers me. I'm forgiven. I'm washed white as snow. And to see that we can be restored in that joy of fellowship with God shows our children, oh, I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have it all together because mom and dad don't have it all together. There is a healthy, good way to handle sin without living in shame or regret or anger or just complete and total rebellion. As we begin teaching our children about their bodies and their boundaries, we want to come to a place where we have a general understanding of what is good and right. And the only way to do that is a lot of research. And that's what we do. I'm always researching just about life as a whole and how to be a better mom or more wise, more aware mom. And some of the books that we have really liked for younger ages, one of them is I Said No, A Guide to Keeping Your Private Parts Private. And then the next is Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, Porn Proofing Today's Young Kids. They do have a junior version of this as well, and then one for teenagers. I Said No is essentially about having boundaries, like a red flag, don't come close to me, I Said No. 
and giving them the awareness of the privacy of their own body. We started that at age three. (laughs) I wanted them to know, as soon as you can even grasp this or understand this, your body is not to be touched. Your body is yours. Good pictures, bad pictures, we started probably around age four and five. I will say my youngest didn't fully understand it, but my oldest is really beginning to understand it. And every time we read that book, you guys, there is a new conversation. There's another question that pops up. So it's been very beneficial for us. Another good book that we like is God Made Your Body by Jim Burns. And this one's just a very basic book, but it's inherently helpful in understanding why we don't do these things. I think one of the biggest confusions in my own life growing up was just the concept that was put out of like, don't have sex. And I was like, okay, but why? Because it seems fun. And when all you have is don't do it, but you don't have the why, like, God made you and God has created somebody specifically for you. And when you are one and complete, that joy of sex and intimacy is one of the greatest, most pleasurable, most beautiful gifts of your life. When you have that before you're married, there is no guarantee you're going to be with this person forever. And therefore, when you're brokenhearted emotionally, if you've also given your body to someone, you are doubling the pain and the loss and you're giving pieces of your body and heart away to someone who is not earned it because they have not committed to you long-term for the rest of your life to vow that you are theirs and they will cherish and protect and keep you. And when we have that understanding, and there's so much more to it, of course, but that God has created this for good. It is not a dirty, bad thing, but that it's meant to be with somebody who has committed to you that they are not going to leave after they sleep with you, that they are not going to go sleep with somebody else after they sleep with you, that they are not going to use and abuse you and make rumors up about you at school, the amount of things that can happen. And then of course, the obvious STDs and pregnancy and all of those things outside of marriage, all of it can be harmful, but when it's done in the way that God has created, it is purposeful. It is not wasteful and empty. And so the more that we are able to communicate that, which the Bible also does a great job of describing the Song Song of Solomon, and I would just encourage to not shy away from those books or those conversations because it shows our children what it was created for. So next about drugs and alcohol. The more that we discuss the consequences of substance abuse and what we have seen, the more effective it's going to be. And so we want to keep it age appropriate. And this can be anything like your kids are asking you about medicine bottles that they see within your home. What you can say is we take medicine only when we're sick and only if your parent or doctor has given it to you. Taking medicine by yourself or taking the wrong medicine or somebody else's medicine can be very dangerous. We call it poison. It's essentially poison to your body because it is. As they get into elementary age and they see drugs and alcohol on TV or on movies, we try to keep our discussions focused on the present. So this is kind of avoiding the long-term consequences because children of elementary age are going to have a really hard time grasping just long-term consequences as a whole. So we'll discuss the differences between medicinal uses and illegal uses of medicine or drugs and how taking that prescription medication can be toxic or dangerous. 
And then knowing our children's friends and parents, you guys, is huge for us. I had some wonderful friends with wonderful parents, but some of those parents were wildly disconnected. And I would go to their house and sleep over, and we did whatever we wanted. Some houses we would literally leave at 11 p.m., and the parents turned a blind eye, or they were just sleeping, or fully, fully unaware or ignorant. So when I check in with parents or when I even send my children to go over or do anything, we make sure that we are fully aware that our values align, that our children's values align, that there is full accountability, awareness, presence within the home. We are a family who does not do sleepovers. We just don't believe that if I'm honest, anything good comes out of a sleepover, I will pick you up at 10 p.m. and drop you right back off at 7 a.m. to have breakfast with everybody if that's what you want. But there's no need to sleep in the same room with a lot of people. There are so many statistics that prove that molestation and rape happens or even consensual sex happens during sleepovers and with people that you know and trust the most. And so These areas are things that we just choose to avoid. We prefer to not even have it be a thing, um, an option. We just don't agree with it. That is our personal stance on it. But it helps us in knowing that there is no opportunity for that at night at any point. As your children get older, 9 to 13 years old, we can say things along the lines of, hey, I heard that some kids at your school are selling pills prescription medications? Have you heard about kids doing this? And then give them opportunities to tell you the truth, listen calmly and warmly, and then practice role-playing so that they can show you what it means to respond in the way that they feel like they would respond. And then you can give active, helpful advice for them to do so as well. Another thing is to give your child a way to have an excuse out of a bad situation. This is something that, you know, peer pressure obviously can take such a toll on people. I was the person who just wanted to be loved and accepted. And so I would do whatever and I would say yes to everything. And honestly, the first time I smoked weed, you guys, was in a car with two boys who were friends, I had curfew and they would not drive me home unless I took a hit. And I was crying in that car because I didn't want to do it. I was opposed to it. I wanted nothing to do with it, but I was going to get grounded and I didn't feel fully safe. While I say they were friends, I didn't feel fully safe with trusting that if I fought them or like really, really held my ground that there wouldn't be some level of aggression. I mean, it's hard to say now because I don't know. I did that the first time because I needed to get home and I do wish I would have had some way out to where, and I don't know if anything I could have said would have helped if I'm honest. And this is the stuff I always process through. It was like, what would I have done? What should I have done? What could I have done? I could have gotten out of the car and called my dad. That's what I should have done. Um, And so always giving your children the freedom to call you, I think is a huge thing that I am here. I will pick up the phone. I will pick you up. No questions asked. And then we can discuss at a later time. But if we give them an excuse like, hey, if you're ever offered prescription pills, you can tell them my parents would kill me if I did that and they they drug test me. Or my parents can always tell if I'm lying or hiding something. There's no way I can do that. When we are able to help offset the feelings of insecurity and doubt and peer pressure that creep in during puberty and that age helps our child to have their own set of strength and individuality where they don't feel like they need to fall into that because they know who they are. They know their identity at home, which is what we are constantly 
as parents, fostering in them that their identity is in Jesus. It's not in their validation that they receive from others. And therefore, they do not need to give in to these societal pressures because God is for them. He sees them, He loves them, and He will give them good things. It doesn't need to come from the empty things of this world. So as the children get older, obviously the conversations become more clear more graphic, more honest, and they may ask you questions. I had family members who told their young boys about sex and the <laughs> the first question those boys, young boys asked them was, do you guys have sex? Do you have sex in our house? How many times a week do you have sex? And I said, I would have died. Those are questions. I don't even know how I would answer that. That feels invasive. It feels private. And I don't feel that we need to expose ourselves in absolutely everything. I think that there are things we keep private. But yes, we had you guys. Mom and dad are intimate, but the details are between us. So just know that there are a lot of opportunities to have these conversations. The more comfortable you are in dropping those little pins, planting a seed and letting them ask the questions and come to you, the more comfortable you're going to be when a really hard question is asked. So don't stop talking. You don't have to lecture them. It doesn't have to be confrontational. Just check in with them because you love them. You love them more than the discomfort. So the more that you understand who they are, their character, the more present you are with them so that you know their friends, what their friends do, what their interests are, the more you're able to lean into them and to teach them so that they hear you. And the more faithful that you are in opening God's word in your home, not only on your own, but with them, praying, asking hard questions about their lives and their emotions, you are giving them something that says, hey, I have solidarity. I'm not going to be a wave tossed to and fro. I know who I am. My family knows who I am. And I stand firm in that. And when we give them a gospel-focused home full of grace and love and a lot of repentance and forgiveness, they have the freedom to not live in shame or embarrassment or confusion over the things that face them and plague them at school and in society. And Proverbs 22, 6 says, as we all know, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We are the example. And so as we give ourselves grace to realize we're not going to have it all together, we're not going to do it perfectly, we can say, what can I do better tomorrow? And then the next day, and then the next day, even if it's just asking for forgiveness over and over again to exemplify the goodness of God, the grace of God, and the truth of the gospel. I love you guys. Thank you for being here. And I would love to hear your feedback. As always, if you enjoyed this conversation, please do share on social, tag me, or send me a DM. I love hearing just your responses and your thoughts as you process through, even if they're not positive. I am in. Just send them my way. If you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to listen to episode 104, Raising Resilient and Independent Children in a Generation of Dependency. Episodes 92 through 94, which is my motherhood series, starting with Mama, Is Your Motherhood Healthy? And episode 75, How I Study the Bible, which Bible translations I recommend, scripture memorization, and my honest thoughts on quiet time and devotionals. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you next week.